Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. To introduce ourselves. My name is Jeremy, and uh, and my guest today is. Hi, my name is Don, and I'm a nerd about many many things. I've been part of many different parts of nerd culture, run conventions, run sites, run all sorts of things. Excellent, and Don has graciously uh, agreed to help me. <laughs> um, this is this will be this is effectively the first, if you know, call it the first actual, if not a first beta recording of this uh, attempt at a podcast. So, thank you very much, Don. At this, oh well, you're very welcome. Glad to be here, and I, I hope to be back and more prepared on the topic another day. <laughs> oh no, you're yeah, you're far. You know, you're trust me. You're you, no matter what you did, you're you, uh, you're plenty prepared and probably far more than I am at doing the rest of this stuff. <laughs> Sounds good. That'd be awesome. I'm I'm still waiting for him to actually ask me what the topic is going to be for today. I'm kind of like, oh uh, no, that's the thing. Well, um, no, I have one. I've come up with one, but okay, like, well, it's like you don't know it yet. That's the no, exciting part. Well, there we go. Um, well, what would you like to talk about today? Uh, depictions of paranormal investigations in fiction, podcasts, games, TV, movies, everything. Uh, current or or historical? How, how far do you want to go back? Uh, well, I haven't actually watched Cold Track the Night Soccer, so I can't go uh, back too far. I mean, if you can, I mean, you might come up with some stuff I don't know. But like, I I anything to do with that is absolute catnip for me. I love paranormal investigation stories. Okay, uh, well, let's start with um, I guess uh, you will start at the beginning at least for you. What kind of um, what kind you know what was the what was the initial spark for getting you into you know, getting you into wanting to, you know, wanting to, you know, what kind, you know, what, 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 what bent your kink enough so that you were, that you, that you kind of, uh, that you wanted to talk about this or it should say that you got really into this. I don't know what my seminal moment is if I, if I really had one. I mean, obviously X-Files is probably the biggest example ever and had a huge impact on me and a lot of other people, but it's, it's something, it's a very interesting genre, but it's so hard to do well that's one of those things a lot of shows and medias flirt with it. They never actually do it. It's oh. really hard to sort of commit to that as a format. How old were you? How old were you when uh, when X Files first when came on the air? Which I believe was the what September '93. Oh God, '93. I need to do math now. Um, ish. '92, '93. I think it was '93 because it was it showed up my senior year of either my junior or senior year of high school. I think I. Started watching it in in college, so I'm going to say I was probably about eighteen or nineteen. Okay, but, uh, do you, and do, did you start watching it at the beginning or? Actually, no. I was kind of upset because I, I, I think the first season happened during my first year of college, and because of that, I, we didn't get TV really reception where we were. Uh, we were in this weird blank spot. We actually didn't get a lot of network TV there, and I kind of missed out the entire first thing. And when I realized that there's a cultural phenomenon involving you know paranormal investigations i was like what this is everything i love how do i not know this and this is you know obviously before you could just go on netflix and binge stuff this was kind of netflix actually uh x-files actually played an interesting 
role in changing how we watch TV. Because even back then, there wasn't even season box sets. If you didn't catch it live, you were screwed. Even with well, um, weren't I was gonna say weren't weren't VHS weren't there? Um, yeah, I was gonna say what when did VHS boxes first show? Because I'm trying to think of like they would have started with like the obvious like ones of like here here's every episode of like you know the original the original uh, series or here's every episode of Next Generation or something some Star Trek stuff. They actually didn't. Where uh, VHS and uh, Xbox came together was they would do these best of, which was three VHS tapes with two episodes each six episodes per season you could not get for the first couple of years of x-files the actual like season box that they weren't doing them yet okay it was just these little best ofs that gave you no idea of the overarching plot and you know obviously x-files was one of the first things they started doing was they started doing the season box sets but you know first couple of years yeah you didn't catch it live you were screwed that makes sense yeah well at least in they would have i don't think they they I don't think they started doing. They didn't syndicate it well. They wouldn't have syndicated it for quite for until like at least the fifth or sixth season. So yeah, because that was back in the days where you didn't syndicate. I mean, one of the big things about hitting season five meant you qualified for syndication, and mm-hmm. that would happen. Right. Especially but no. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Our. The... No weird. Anyway. Sorry. It's Spooky. Fun. Yeah, the fun of having a uh, the having that wall is uh, against the outside world. So occasionally the outside world bleeds in, even when I try not to have it. But okay, so uh, X Files, and I guess kind of so was that the kind of just um, everything came together, and you know because I can remember I rem- you know I was. I remember watching X-Files uh, uh, senior year, which would have been the first season. And then my first second season was my freshman year. I say, like, yeah, you can adjust that mm-hmm. if you want or uh, whatever, whatever uh, or, you know, move that around or whatever makes it more most comfortable for you. I might just hold this mic. Go for it. Otherwise, I'm going to wind up with a terrible backache. There we go. There we go. I can sit normally now. There we go. Yeah, there Yay. you go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, there are little. Welcome to the initial. Welcome to the premiere recording in our ad hoc studio. Uh, please ignore the background noises, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, also, me and and of me taking a drink of beer. Oops. Well, obviously, there are some things besides the paranormal investigations aspect of X Files that grabbed me because the show is pretty progressive on gender fronts. Like they actually they, they did a lot. Of, they didn't do just like the obvious gender flipping of the characters. Like they would film Mulder from angles that you would normally only ever film a female character from. Hmm. And same thing with Scully. If you watch, especially like the first season, they do a lot of really subtle things with camera angles and other stuff that was just yeah. amazing to see. Like it, it actually kind of opened my mind to a lot of gender bias and a lot of stuff in TV. Just watching that, I'm like, I never realized that you never do this this way. You know. Awesome. That's yeah. That's, that's something I never. Well, I, having never gone back to the to the early episodes because it was kind mm-hmm. of like X Files was never something that's, um, n- never something I, that I that's. I mean, I was like I would watch it because I was out. You know, you know, you know, who are we kidding? You were you know, seventeen year old, uh, you know, nerd at high school. So it was always home on Fridays anyway. Either like, you know, the mm-hmm. computer. You know, the, the benefit of having the uh, my computer in the family room where the TV was too. So you click it on like, all right, I can play Sam and Max and listen to X-Files in the background. For yeah, ex- sounds awesome. <laughs> for, you know, to take to pull an example out of nowhere, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But also with X-Files, I mean, it's also a good example of a lot of things that happen with this genre in, in other formats, which is lack of payoff is a huge problem in anything involving paranormal investigations. It's, 
so easy to do a setup of a mystery plot and make things look interesting and spooky and we're so good at doing that you know as storytellers people who make tvs and movies are so good at setting up stuff that's intriguing mm-hmm. but payoff is terrible like most most of the stuff i've watched or read you know i've binge netflix and all their paranormal investigations movies and some of them have not just lack of payoff but almost an aggressive lack of payoff i've watched frame stories where there's no second part of the frame Right, and I guess it would, yeah, it would also require, say, you know, the network broadcasting it to actually air it in the uh, in the you know creators, you know, in the kind of like, in the way it's designed. Mm-hmm. And so, see, yeah, also, you know, for the viewers at home who can't see this, you're wearing your cryptozoology uh, tracking society. Seeing is believing. Thank you know from Bluff Creek, California. Yep, uh, there's an Etsy store called Maiden Voyage Clothing that does all these lovely cryptozoology T-shirts, and I love them. Excellent. Although I do think the the Sasquatch you have looks like half Sasquatch, half Miyazaki creature. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Possibly by design. Possibly by design. Yeah. So that will be my first wreck for the for the evening. Um, there you go. What the uh, oh the Etsy store of was it Maiden. Uh, Maiden Voyage Clothing Company. Maiden Voyage Closing Closing Company on Etsy. Okay. Well, yeah. So if you want to have the aesthetic of paranormal investigations, they can help with that. Excellent. All right. Well, I'll include a link to that. Uh, speaking of setup and payoff, how um, with X Files at least, uh, what was your overall opinion on this overall opinion? You know, going towards you know for the uh, the 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 return to the series from I believe earlier in 2016, earlier this year. I was looking forward to it. I, I bought in stupidly to the earlier press that this was going to somehow wrap up some of the storylines, which it absolutely did not. Um, I, I can't say I was big a fan of the new season. I don't think that it was very well thought out. It felt very rushed. Mm. I, I've talked about this you know, more in depth in other places, but yeah, it's... Yeah, again, like a lot of people were looking for the payoff to finally happen, and right. there was none. There's absolutely none. Basically, it rehashed some of the themes of the earlier show. Weirdly, they did a transposition where uh, one of the earlier characters with a new character involving there used to be like a, a little, you know, child who was somehow like everything and the mystery and the key to the X-Files. And in the original series, it was like this little, you know, white boy child and they replaced it with, you know, a, a, I think it was like a girl of color child or something. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, we said everything is something different now. And I don't know. It was just very weird. It was very weirdly layered juxtaposition of these two sort of childlike characters was it it wasn't the kind of the the invocation of the kind of like the all-knowing star child star child trope was it or uh yeah it pretty much was there was a psychic child and somehow he was the key to the x-files even though the x-files was never like a single case right it was just kind of it was yeah it, it was you know it was an office that did a genre as it were yeah i mean if there was an overarching mystery it had to do with Mulder's sister and that was never like, the kid had nothing to do with that, so right. yeah. it, it made no sense. Well, there you go. Although, uh, speaking of, to go back to your earlier point about the problem with wrapping up, I can remember one of the um, one of the criticisms about X-Files was that it, is, it was a show that would alternate between either the ongoing... Um, the overarching plot versus kind of the more monster of the week episodes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, but I heard one of the, um, one of the criticisms for the redone show was that all the overarching episodes, were, which were, I believe all done by Chris Carter, were mm-hmm. kind of like, eh. Whereas the monster of the week one, like the one where they, that actually has like the most, 
like hilariously obvious Cole Jack the Night Stalker reference you could ever get was like probably which was like very much a monster of the week which was straight uh, like the best one of the uh, one the best one if not the of the uh, six eps. And I've also seen that it's been the Monster of the Week episodes that tend to have stood up. Those are the ones that sort of tend to have become the classics. Excellent. But if you're into it, you want the myth to be good. Like, you want to be into that. Right, yeah. The week-to-week compelling, almost like, you know, the serial nature. Yeah. Okay, well, then, this is a... X-Files is kind of like a topic in and of itself, but what other... I guess, uh, if that was your entry point, I guess, where did you go from there? Well, uh, after X-Files, I think it was after X-Files, very early Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They, they even called themselves the Scooby Gang. They were kind of flirting with being paranormal investigators, but they really quickly knew what was actually going on, so that mm-hmm. kind of disrupted it. I mean, they occasionally would do investigation stuff, but pretty much it's one of the ways in paranormal investigation shows kind of get in the genre gets derailed, is they just figure out what's going on, and then they're, they're, they're kind of the insider. That becomes a very different sort of show and a very sort of different thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, when I was asking some friends of mine for like ideas of like what are good examples of this, they were pretty much giving me stuff that was just general paranormal stuff. But yeah, but but, but it wasn't the, really yeah, it wasn't really the, yeah, did not have the framing of the or the the particular vector of you know it's a spooky show, but is it a spooky show about someone who you know about someone explicitly you know trying to figure out what's actually going on and you know actively mm-hmm. you know actively you know actively investigating it rather than just you know oh we live in a spooky house and this shit happens to us. Yeah, basically one that actually does a mystery plot that you sort of delve into, but you know. A lot of stuff is kind of famously terrible at that. And you- so we're uh, back to talking about um, going back to Buffy the, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was mm-hmm. it seemed much more uh, monster fighting versus you know paranormal than than the investigation. They were trying to do it, but it just didn't work in the format. Like they were trying to go for that flavor at times, and so they, and they called them the Scooby Gang, which is a reference, obviously, you know, right. to paranormal investigators and to yeah to the Flintstones cartoons. Obviously, obviously, yeah. Actually, uh, one thing that's interesting about things like Scooby-Doo is that it was paranormal stuff, investigations, that actually followed through on plot regularly, more than anything else did. I mean, it's kind of a funny thing to say, to use Scooby-Doo as an example. You mean follow through in terms of they had, a, they had, they had, they resolved the They actually situation. resolved the plot every right. single time. And it was always a debunking. Well, almost always, if you right. watch the newer movies. It was always a debunking, but... it They follow through. There was an actual beginning, middle, end of the plot, which is... You know, pretty much absent outside of stuff like Scooby Doo and Ghostbusters. Hmm. Like those are kind of the examples of having, you know, plot structure that's not terrible <laughs> in some of the stuff. Not uh, in some of the stuff, or I was gonna say I wouldn't go to I wouldn't go so far as to uh, to withhold that judgment from Scooby Doo in terms of the quality. Although mm-hmm. this was just, this was one of the few cartoons that later on would re- would regularly uh, employ Vincent Price before he died, but mm-hmm. in, a, yeah. in a spinoff. Well, probably about that time was when I was trying to uh, play the Japanese video game Fatal Frame, which is a paranormal investigation based on actual urban legends in Japan. Unfortunately, I am terrible at this game because you have to track the ghost via biofeedback, which is the heartbeat of the character you're controlling. You feel it through the rumble pack of the PlayStation. Fatal Fatal Frame being a series that uh, I don't think I ever actually played it mm-hmm. because um, I believe the the... I don't know. I think you know. Just the, the word that I always heard online was that this was this was an actual freaky, you know, would, would freak the crap out of you, you know, video game. Which for a video game is oh, kind yeah. of, I guess. But I'll, you know, I, you know, I've gotten freaked out by video games before. It's say you know, I got freaked out by playing the seventh guest at like three in the morning, and you see, you know, and ghost shit starts happening, and I'm like seventeen year old in the basement of my parents' house, going like, 
it's all it's through you know it's the kind of you know getting which you know at a certain point you get kind of wait you know late in the night and you're tired or you get a, a bit too um easily spooked I've played a number of horror games. This is the only horror game that I actually had a fear problem playing. It was just that biofeedback tracking the heartbeat. Like, it would somehow trigger a response in me where her heartbeat would speed up. So would mine, matching it. And I get so wound up playing it. I tried so many times to play this damn game. I could not get through it. Like, I've played Silent Hill. I've played a bunch of other stuff. I'm currently playing Inside, uh, which is very freaky. But no, Fatal Frame is just absolutely... It, it it wrecked me, and you never and so you were never able to you were never able to complete it. Yes, my great gamer shame. I've not actually completed it. Yeah, you, but you've gotten gotten farther and done more than, than uh, probably uh, I guess the vast majority of people. Have you ever tried any of the sequels? I have. I've not heard good things about the sequels. I, I've heard that they're pretty much just sort of more sort of eye candy and things like that. There is a new, well, not a new one. There's one that's finally being localized to the U.S. is coming out in the next couple of months. Hmm. That's been out. That's the fans are after. But yeah, the sequels were kind of not spiritual successors to the original game, from what I understand. Next, you so so you play Fatal Frame, and then what? What hits you next? Um, let's see. Well, oh. I, I I I sort of organize this by genre. So oh, go for it. So we're gonna stick with games for a bit. Uh, this is I'm actually currently playing The Secret World. Oh, you know that that one is. I, that's one of those ones that I think has that one actually co- switched to free to play yet, or is it still you have to d- dump in the initial costs? And because I can remember seeing that and thinking that might have been that might be um, worthwhile, just because all right, a video game that has you know um, you know more Lovecrafty shit in it. Here we go, and just never. But it was the thing where never I never I never bit the bullet because mm-hmm. uh, I think the the because I believe at one point either they had a subscription fee or it was a. Um, you know, the, the barrier to entry was high enough that I never actually stepped through it. Mm-hmm. Well, I picked up a recent Steam sale. There's no longer a subscription fee for the game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there was. I think there was. I'm pretty sure there was. And uh, you can get that plus a bunch of the expansions fairly cheap through the Steam sale, which is now over. Sorry. No, they, yeah. <laughs> but if, by the time, if, if anyone actually does listen to this, just wait for, wait another eight weeks and something will come through. Yeah, buy it on sale because you can buy it bundled with a lot of the expansions, which they call issues, which are basically story updates to the game. Um, it is pretty good, it is atmospheric, and you do actual real-world research to solve the in-game quest. You actually bring up a browser in-game that is the real internet. It's not some sort of weird in-game internet. Mm-hmm. And you have to research the occult. You have to research, you have to you know, figure out this painting is a real painting painted by this person. And you have to do like medieval research, cult research to uh, you do actual investigations to solve the quest lines. Hmm, pretty good. Which is pretty impressive. I've never seen anything quite like that in a game, and it's hard to do investigations in a game. Like I've played a couple other. I'm currently playing Temporal Invasion. Probably not going to keep up with that one. It's pretty silly. Hmm. But yeah, it, it's actually like kind of the best, most interactive thing I've seen in terms of just playing an investigator in a game. And yeah, and yes, there's tons of, of Lovecraft. It's very atmospheric. Um, those the great things about the game. The less great things about the game is that the engine is not exactly polished in the movement. The in-game movement's a little bit clunky, and the camera's clunky. And I'm really picky about ca- about controls in games, so it, it's a little bit of a chore to play. But mm. if you can get through that, it is it is fantastic. Awesome. There's lots of great encounters, and investigations to do. Awesome. 
All right. Uh, which uh, do you have any more games, or do you want to s- switch over to another another media? Those were those were the games I came up with for this. All right, then we will come. We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back right after the break with uh, uh, talking to Don here about paranormal investigations and as uh, fictionalized in media, which kind of makes sense. Well, it's important for me to specify in fiction because when I was trying to when I was trying to do some quick Googles on this, it kept coming up with all that kind of you know. Those pseudo reality TV stuff, which was a huge craze in and of itself, which I'm not intending to get into, but I, I have actually talked to some of the people involved in those. Um, I was at Dragon Con last year. Oh dear. And I went to some of the paranormal panels, which was actually incredibly well done. Really. And were the yeah. panels better done than the actual than the production of the actual show? Probably. Which, <laughs> which was, you know, admittedly is probably not the hardest thing to do, but. Yeah, they were talking about one uh, thing that happened in Ghost Hunters International where they kept saying they need more of the infrared footage from this particular location, and there was none to be had. So after the production company repeatedly cajoling them for it, mm-hmm. one of the guys literally took the infrared, whatever meter or, or sensor that they use to record infrared video, and recorded his junk while he danced, and they submitted it, and that aired as part of the show. Awesome. The infrared you're actually seeing is this guy basically waggling his junk because the production company kept pressuring them so hard for uh, footage and weird things and beeping things to show. So the and they're just like, but there's nothing here. We want to be doing this seriously. But the production company was just like, no, we don't We don't give a shit about your integrity. So his class five free, free floating phantasm was him doing a tilt-a-whirl. And you don't want to know where the ectoplasm came from. Sorry. And there's another group there. Um, he slimed me. Great. Oh actual <laughs> actual physical contact, you know. Oh Here's your mucus. And there's another group there at the panels, which was an actual paranormal investigations group called Paranormal Georgia Investigations. And they were fantastic because they were very serious about finding paranormal stuff. But they come at it from a point of view of skepticism Mm -hmm. and the main thing that they do is they run around debunking the fake history about uh, different places where people like they try to to capitalize on being paranormal hotspots and they're like no 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 this this didn't happen here's the real history and that they're kind of not liked by a lot of people for that but they were they were fantastic and you know one of the reasons why i'm so into looking to as many examples as i can is I would actually love to write some stuff involving paranormal investigations. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like into it. And it's so getting in touch with an actual group so you can have, you know, some idea of what paranormal investigations is like in the real world. They did real deep dives in the difference between stationary and handheld camera equipment and all kinds of stuff. I've got the notes somewhere. Not sure where because they should be on this computer, but I seem to have lost them. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, so that's one, you know, if you're, you're interested in the genre, kind of in meta way, in, in what the reality is, they're prob- probably a good resource. It sounds like they, they do a lot of talks and a lot of things like that. They were very polished at, at the panel, so it wasn't their first radio. Have you uh, have you seen yet the show that, Dest- I think it was, was it Destin- I think it's Destination America, the show mm-hmm. they put on called Ghost Brothers, which was like the first actual, like, all-black paranormal investigation show, which was... <laughs> By all reports, like actually worthwhile and actually funny, and you know you didn't want to strangle the hosts. I will check that out. No, I have. I, I kind of don't really take the the the, the reality TV show version of it very seriously. And uh, you know, at, yeah, right. It, you know, as well, but as everyone should, you know. Yeah, that's the thing about you know, as 
as uh, Matt McCarthy says in terms of, re- well, not just reality TV, but, you know, all television, only pro wrestling is real. So, yeah, pretty much. And oh, by the way, we are back and talking with Don about <laughs> about uh, f- uh, representation, fictitious or not, of paranormal investigations. Yes, we we have uh, ventured slightly into the reality side of things. And if you are interested in looking at a lot of the stuff in the meta way, I, I'm going to give a recommendation for another podcast. Actually, some of my top recommendations for today mm-hmm. are all podcasts. So hey, uh, one is this is this is a nonfiction one. It's the Lore Podcast. If you look up it just under Lore, just the one word. Lore. You know, the podcast devoted to Data's twin brother. Precisely. And what's interesting about this podcast is that he does a lot of research on, you know, those things that keep coming up on paranormal shows. You see on Supernatural, you see on Buffy, you know, this book, you know, has this infamous history. This thing does. Or this trip. He does the deep dive on the actual history behind it without any of this weird layering on top of anything like he's just like okay so we've got weird stories about lighthouses here's the actual history that this these all these show writers are pulling their stuff from cool and we're doing all these versions of it. he just does deep dives into just the actual facts of stuff involving you know weird books or witch hysteria or i just i yeah i just watched the i just heard the lighthouse one uh so he does really deep dives on basically what the source material is used across all these different you know, shows, movies, games, everything. Because a lot of mm-hmm. it, you, you see the same things come up again and again. Right. You know, the Vonius Manuscripts, the Gigas Bible, this one thing, which hysteria, and there's probably a bunch more. Um, but yeah, he, he just really goes through and does that. Mm-hmm. But while we're on podcast, uh, there's two put out by a group called uh, Pacific Northwest Stories. I've heard that. I've heard, I know the name at mm-hmm. least. Uh, the first is called The Black Tapes. Which is excellent. Uh, it's one of those things where you've got someone who's doing a podcast as if she's actually doing paranormal research. So it's it's the uh, the black tapes. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. that is an that is more of an ongoing narrative. Yes, it's ongoing not fictitious yeah. narrative. They're on season two or three now, mm-hmm. and it, it's presented like you're getting podcasts from a world where paranormal is real, and she's investigating it. And mm-hmm. it's the production quality on this is absolutely through the roof. I've been listening to some of them while I've been cleaning my basement. You know, there you go. It's you know that's the the, uh, the the which is half the point of podcasts. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, I have really good headsets. I've got really good audio equipment for my own personal enjoyment of listening to music. Right. That coupled with how good their audio production is, I've literally thought there have been things skittering around in my basement. I have heard sounds that I have could swear up and down we're not coming from the podcast because they sounded too realistic theater of the mind ladies and gentlemen <laughs> works well when you pull it off hilariously bad when you can't yeah so it is absolutely fantastic and i enjoy that one they also have a second one that they've launched in the same universe called tanis which is good i like the characters it's not quite the black tapes quality i feel um the black tapes is very much they're writing a lot of stuff they're 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 creating new incidents it's all original material the stuff they're they're, they're doing whereas Tonis is like it's like a checklist of everything more what more of just running down running down genre tropes or something or just making uh of making that rather than like an actual story or yeah he, he's they're not really crafting an actual story he's investing in something that he calls Tanis. And it turns out that tennis is everything, like everything paranormal. Every paranormal place is really this place. It's all like just, you know, faucets and reflections of this one thing. 
It's the Vanya Strand script. It's Baba Yaga. It's everything. And it's great in terms of how well the story is told and, and the characters and, you know, the character arcs are fantastic. But the actual, like, paranormal investigation side of it is not quite Black Tips quality. Ah, well. But they are both fantastic and I highly recommend them. And that's probably my top recommendation for this entire <laughs> thing is... The, uh, I would say on the, uh, on a similar tip in terms of um, not necessarily ongoing story, but certainly uh, I guess my uh, my podcast recommendation would be one called Hello from the Magic Tavern, mm-hmm. which is recorded by three guys out of Chicago. So it has that nice mix up from your standard as, um, you know, New York, L.A., San Fran. It's pretty much it for at least American, you know, the American axes for podcast recording um HQ's uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern is, I guess the story being is that the main host uh, fell through a portal behind a Burger King in uh, in North Chicago, wound up into this magical world, and he is set up w- with his podcast equipment in a local magic tavern and kind of interviews and has conversations with the magical slash fantastical be- beings that he encounters there. He has a sidekick. Well, is to say his his co-hosts. One is a wizard, the other is a shapeshifter who is currently in the shape of King of All the Badgers. This uh, and every week they interview a new fantastical, um, fan, you know, everything from the princess to the land to you know the Goblin Queen to um, the oddly Cockney. Um, you know, barback who works there, and it just kind of goes from there. And you, and as the weeks go on, it you get the um, you know, they build out the world. It is the the humor is great. It's very, it is very much the closest thing to an American disc world we are ever going to get. And that like half the joke is, I should say, half the fun is either in world, um, let's let's call it you know, in world approximation for real world things. Uh, of like you know how real world things you know kind of in you know you know how uh, will instantiate themselves into this fantastical world. The other fun thing is how you know entirely how far they will go for a joke. And as they mentioned, you know sometimes you know the uh, uh, you know sometimes the the you know the lowest hanging fruit is the sweetest. Anyway, to put that mild, no. So that's that's my recommendation is Welcome to the Magic Tavern, which is um, yeah, like I said, Chicago improv, great stuff. And it, yeah, when I should have set out the output, it is definitely a comedy podcast, and um, it's one of those things where I do. Uh, I always enjoy where, uh, even in the middle of an improv conversation podcast, you know, characters w- will not break character to call each other out for their horrible jokes, which is a nice touch. Nice, <laughs> sounds fun. Uh, what okay? So other um, in ter- since paranormal investigations are always thing. Well, let's talk. What was your history? You know, uh, I guess what was your history with Ghostbusters? Since that is you know the, um, you know the most tangible example of paranormal investigations this year, shall we say? That's not the Ghostbusters. That is not the X Files uh, revive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I saw the new movie last night. How was it? I loved it. I was expecting to sort of like it. Um, I wasn't really familiar with all the talent involved in it. So I was like, this will probably be decent. I'm sure they're not going to totally screw this up. But I wound up absolutely loving it. I had a fantastic time. Saw it at the Baghdad. And that that particular audience, at least, also completely loved it. Um, but oh, starting, hmm? oh, so how was the turnout? Turnout was great. 
the theater was packed. Excellent. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, I had to see it as soon as possible to get ahead of, you know, hearing people talk about it. Yep. Thank you, Internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, so start with the, sort of the first movies. I mean, it, it is Paranormal Investigation. It's got a plot. It's not something I really think of thematically. It doesn't have that sort of, you know, Paranormal Investigations, like, set dressing, really. It, mm-hmm. it starts out that way. It starts out that way. Like, it's one of the things where I went back and watched the movies when I was a bit older. And, like, it really does come out of Paranormal Investigations rather than just being a wacky movie. I enjoy it. I was never, like, super into the films. They, they enjoy them as a comedy film. Um... I enjoy the new film as a comedy film. <laughs> Good. Yeah. At some point, yeah, as long as it was actually worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's go for, you know, it's on the, staying on the topic of film, um, what else do you, you know, it's kind of, is there anything else that film-wise, you know, and we can and we can get into the X-Files films here if you want, or is there any, do you think there's any anything film-wise that you could really, um, you could really get into, or really, you, you would really find, wor- you know, wor- worthwhile examples? I can give some terrible examples, but... Oh, uh, go for those, yeah. I mean, yeah, anti-examples, yeah, let's hear them. Well, I mean, you've got stuff like the Paranormal Activity movies, and you've got the Blair Witch, which are pretty much textbook complete and another lack of payoff. But people enjoy them. They enjoy them for the scares, but they are paranormal investigation type stuff. At least to a degree. Uh, the only movie I really felt that had a good payoff was a movie that has been panned by a lot of people, so I can't like wholeheartedly recommend it, except for the fact that they followed through on the plot, which is one called The Red Light. Oh, I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to say Transformers, but okay, The Red Light. <laughs> Transformers was a... Well, you mean, it's like, you know, extra normal stuff does happen in that film repeatedly over the course, you know, occasionally it's a lot of the same stuff over the, over the number of it, but yeah. Anyway, so anyway, The Red Light. Yeah, I haven't rewatched it recently because, again, you know... <laughs> I've had no prep time, but it's it's one that I do enjoy simply because I I went through on Netflix and I mainline every supernatural themed film that they had, and like that one almost took me by surprise because it didn't just end weirdly with like the camera exploding somewhere and then fade to black. They actually followed through and had a plot. Excellent. Which unfortunately in this particular genre is rare. Why do you think that is? It's it's just so much easier to set up something creepy, and, and there's so many people who've got that down to an art form, setting up weird, creepy, intriguing ideas, but when you have to have an ending, you have to kind of make a statement, like, this is what the paranormal is, there's, there's a lot of world building that goes into it, and you have to narrow down all these possibilities that people have and say, of everything, this is it. And that seems to be really hard to do. And as someone who's also trying to write it, 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 I do find it hard to do, partially because, and this is not something we've gotten into, but it does play into a lot of this, is a lot of supernatural stuff, when you get, when you get into it, uh, a lot of it's kind of racially complicated. Mm. A lo- you know, there's a lot of Orientalism. There's a lot of, you know, this this comes from darkest Africa type stuff. Or you go the other route where, like, only mysticism from England is real and everyone else is wrong. So right. it, it's, it's hard to do a deep dive in world building you're basically saying a certain point of view in the world is the right one like fundamentally the right one and all religion and all everything else is wrong can you think of any other particular examples where you think they really nailed the um the resolution and or made eh, call it a you know define you know made definable definable statements you know, as opposed to like, here's a cool premise and here's some cool world building that'll, you know, that'll last us for a season or two or for a game or two or for, you know, several episodes or or two, uh, you know, rather than 
you know, how many of them have actually, I don't know, landed that arc, I guess, completed it? That's the problem. Is there's not a lot that really have. I mean, there mm. probably are some out here that I'm, I'm kind of unaware of, and hopefully some people will have in comments great recommendations for ones. Right. I would definitely welcome that. Um, I have a feeling there's probably some in, in the novel genres that, you know, have somehow done that. Um, as an ongoing thing, I don't know. Uh, Hellblazer is not bad. It's got its own mythology. It falls through as part of a larger thing, and is, he is actually doing um, investigations into things. I never thought of Hellblazer as been that thing. I always thought it was more of um, Hellblazer, the comic that was. Mm-hmm. Um, for those not aware of it, Hellblazer, the, uh, which did you know did get its its own feature film back in '05, which actually was far better than the I think better than uh, better than it is remembered. I think the only the major flaw of the film is the cat you know casting uh, you know Keanu Reeves, but hey, he got the film made. And at one point, he was sporting those tats for a while because I can remember people people were uh, were 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 on, around that time were going to live shows from his band Dogstar, and he had John Constantine's tattoos on his forearms. <laughs> I've never seen the film. I'm one of those terrible people. I would recommend it. It's kind of, um, to my memory, from the you know I saw it. We actually did see it. You know, down at the uh, at the Lloyd Stadium, way down on Multnomah, um, saw it there. And it's kind of a thing where I can remember. Um, have not seen it in years, but my memory of it is that uh, everything else in terms of like sort of plot wise is very much very true to uh, Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. Everything from, you know, uh, Lucifer being this kind of like really greasy, you know, white suited guy played by Peter Stormatter, who's great. Or, you know, uh, Gabriel being played by Tilda Swinton, you know, like as androgynous yeah. as hell and being great. And, then, and you know, Sheila LaBeouf as the kind of little like, you know, eager sidekick who's getting, you know, you know, I think probably meets a bad end or God knows what. You know, it's good, <laughs> film itself is actually, you know, worthwhile. But I, but the comic... The comic was, I always thought that was much more of just kind of like life and times of like this, you know, it was originally conceived of this working class warlock, just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, just stomping around London and either getting into scrapes and or screwing over his friends or, you know, usually both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And getting himself in deeper, deeper trouble. Right. So deep that like no one can actually go after him without pissing off other people after him. Right. Which is, yeah, well, I think the, yeah, which is, which... Uh, for those who haven't read it, is kind of uh, you know led, um, executed well, and actually is delivered upon quite well in the in the f- was it the first major arc of the story. I think it was like when Alan Moore, who I believe Alan was what, what the earliest writer, he was, Alan Moore helped create the character, mm-hmm. and I believe he was like the, he was one of the early writers of the sequel. But whoever you know wrote the original issues, the. Um, the conclusion of like one of the early story arcs was that in terms of like you know conf- you know conflicting parties you know finding out that they're that you know you know John Constantine had screwed them all mm-hmm. so that's Hellblazer ladies and gentlemen worth a while you know dig it up you know get your comicsology on uh, head over to your local shop and get up and get the trades if you can get your local library mm-hmm. you know yeah, I guess it does fall into the category, except for soup, even pretty early on, something where he actually knows what's going on. So he's he's investigating things, but it's not really paranormal investigations. Right. It's a, yeah. I think it's kind of a thing where he was much more. It seems much more as opposed to um, 
particular investigation. It's more of a, you know, almost a, like a forensic crime thing, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else do you, uh, I'm trying to think of, so we've covered, we've covered film, we've covered comics, somewhat, mm-hmm. we've covered uh, video games, and even podcasts. Is there anything Podcast. else, that, yeah, is there anything else that really, really stands out that, you, that you'd want to talk about? Well, like the X-Files, another thing you always have to look at when you're talking about in paranormal investigations is the TV show Supernatural. Okay, which, was it Supernatural or was it Grimlet's filmed in Portland? I can't remember if Supernatural was here, too. Oh, no, Supernatural is not here. I would know if Supernatural was here. Supernatural is filmed up in Vancouver. I was going to say, yeah, Vancouver. It's, yeah, it's either here or there, so. Yeah, Grim. Oh, Grim is filmed here, that's why. Yeah, I think Grim is, is uh, over was. now. Yeah. yeah. Hmm, I wonder if Grim qualifies. I, I kind of fell out of Grim pretty quickly. Never watched an episode. They captured the Portland aesthetic well, but like the the plot line, like I always look at the meta plot and like where the themes are and stuff like that. It was kind of, eh, yeah, yeah, it was not working for me. Yeah, so it goes. Yeah, so I mean, Supernatural, obviously, again, they transition from be- being people who are investigating things and, mm-hmm. and finding monsters and stuff like that to being people who know exactly what's going on and know more than anyone else about something. They, they make that transition. Mm. But in the early days, they're even walking around with EMF meters, investigating ghosts, not know what's going on. And they're, they're, they kind of start out very vulnerable to a lot of the supernatural things that they're dealing with because they don't know how to do it. And then obviously they trans, you know, later on, they're all like, oh, yeah, demons kick. Right. Yeah. Those unbelievable EMF meters. Yes. Which are just a staple of the visual. <laughs> right. What's going on? It, it's it's kind of funny when you hear actual paranormal investigators talk about EMF readers because EMF is everywhere. Like finding EMF is just kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll, <laughs> I'll 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 drive that joke in the goddamn ground if I need to. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Sorry. It took me a minute. Yeah, so yeah, but EMF meters, you know, play a very strong visual role in any kind of like, you know, TV or movie version. You need to have the thing that goes blink, blink, blink and beep, beep, beep for the audience to go, look, the thing is digging. Yeah, you need the technological representation as well, you know, the the audible slash visual, um, you know, clue that, hey, something's happening and here's how we can easily demonstrate it happening. It's my timey-wimey detector. It goes ding when there's stuff. There we go. Which is unfortunately not how this works, and you know this works in reality when people are investigating things. You know, EMF is is everywhere, and you you sneeze on the meter, or puts out of position, and it, it'll pick up different EMF. It's it's kind of silly, right? You know, so it goes. But you, you yeah. know, ne- let you know, let the you know, never let the truth get in the good way of a uh, decent story. That's true, but I think that when you're dealing with anything that's fantasy related in any way or supernatural. The more you can ground it in reality, right. the more opportunities you can take to do that, the more you can sell the people and what's going on. Because if you can't get, you know, eating a sandwich or setting up tech correct, if, you, if you're if you trying people's you know, suspension of disbelief on that stuff, you're not going to sell them on the ghosts. I think that the really concrete, technical and, and visceral grounding in reality is what's key to doing anything supernatural. Correct. Which I yeah I agree with. It's kind of the, the the strength of it is that, or you get the the harder hits, the better mm-hmm. you know the better or more accurately you ground this fantastical situation in in like the regular and by throwing mm-hmm. as many like you know kind of concrete details of the regular, it's kind of you know I don't you know maybe even like you know it's part of how like you know how the genre of urban horror works. Yeah. 
of like, hey, you are in a, a in a recognizable day to day, you know, regular day to day situation. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you know, call back to Hellblazer, and all of a sudden, all this other crap happens. So, mm-hmm. and the it's the contrast between the two that's where the fun happens. Yeah, exactly. So there we go. All right, and other than that, let's see. We've been talking for yeah, far longer than I expected. And the, other than that, is the that uh, is, is there anything else you really wanted to hit? Uh, that was kind of my list of things I came up with examples. Some of them being very obvious. I said my only really good kind of deep cut. Here's a good recommendation. Stuff is the Pacific Northwest Stories podcast stuff. Excellent. Um, and yeah, just kind of timely topic for today because, you know, Ghostbusters just came out and I did spend today running around hunting down and capturing monsters. There you go. Those <laughs> yokai in uh, in Portland, that those will get you. Yep. All right. Well, um I've been Jeremy and talking to Don here and let's see. Well, I should say and with that we uh and with that, just want to thank everybody for listening to the initial uh, this initial episode of whatever this is going to turn out to be. Uh, we'll probably have contact information about this later or whatever I decide to throw in in post-production. God and you'll knows. have a website with oh, yes. Rex list somewhere. So people who want to look at, you know, see what we're talking about and, you know, get some good links going. Yes, we definitely will have notes for this um, in terms of, you know, you can find better links for what we're talking about. So you too, the listener, can go about, uh, you know, finding your own stuff, investigating your own you know the you know whatever pop cult we have blabbered on about for you know and share your own recommendations because I'm pretty sure there's at least something out there that is like massive and amazing that I've totally completely flaked on right. and you know the truthful recommendation is out there yes as they say all right well then thanks for listening ladies and gentlemen and for at the end of our first episode that's pretty much it goodbye bye Well, that's it. I'd like to thank Don Hewitt for coming over and helping me record this first one. You can reach Don on Twitter at Dorkvania. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at GivingTheMic or through email at GivingTheMic at gmail.com. Tonight's podcast recommendations were Lore, The Black Tapes, Tannis, or Hello from the Magic Tavern. I want to thank you all for listening to this attempt at something worthwhile. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. And make a note as to a rough... I think part, a lot of this is going to be until I get it, until I actually like nail down some sort of running order. Like, you know, just like separate segments that I'll cut together and, you know, with little like music, little music bits patching it together. That works. So if this seems somehow, you know, kind of, um, uh, incoherent as a convo, that's, that might be why. Probably also a little me. Since you asked me to do this last night, I've been either drinking, hiking, watching movies or sleeping. Pretty much nothing else. So I've not done like... Perfect. Anything prep yeah. work, so. Well, no, that's this is that's the <laughs> part of it. You said the uh, professionalism is not the name of the game here. It's more of a. Um, it, I think part of what I wanted to do this was just kind of. I mean, it's like. I think part a, a lot of it is just the number of the number of these shows that I've been listening to is pretty much just you know you open the mics and just talk because the rest of the stuff is just kind of you know. <laughs>
<laughs> the subtitle of the uh, you know subtitle of the uh, of the show is this ain't NPR and it ain't Earwolf either. Mm-hmm. So 